Good morning. My name is David. I am a postulant here at Incarnation, although maybe not for much longer, if I may say so, um, God willing. Today we're revisiting a text that we heard somewhat recently in our sermon series on 1 Corinthians. I hope I'm not the um, annoying person in a meeting who tries to bring up a decision that's already been made. Um, but this is, for good, this is for good reason. The text is very important for our, my installment of our Imitate Me series. For the person who I want to talk about, um, he's a Christian famous among Bible and theology nerds, but obscure to normal people. His name is Origen. He is worth imitating for a great many reasons, but above all, I strive to imitate him as an interpreter of scripture. It was actually a Jewish colleague of mine who paid what I thought was the greatest possible compliment to Origen. She said, I just love Origen. When I read him, it's like scripture is alive. And what she meant by that wasn't simply that scripture is vivid or exciting. What she meant was that scripture is, in a somewhat literal way, a living, active thing, a personality or agent in its own right. And more specifically, I have found Origen most worth imitating in the way he contemplates scripture as the most direct way to contemplate Jesus Christ. To put it differently, by careful study of scripture, which includes living it out, we are united ever more intimately with Christ. Origen was born in Alexandria, the one in Egypt, around the year AD 185. He also spent the first half of his career there as a professional scholar of the Christian scriptures and the philosophy of his day. The second half of his career he spent as a scholar and priest in Caesarea in Palestine. He died in the year 253, perhaps 254. And in that span of time, it is hard to overstate how accomplished he was as a scholar and man of God. Alexandria was the intellectual capital of the Roman Empire at that time, home to the greatest library then known in the Mediterranean world. And not just there, but throughout the Greek and Latin-speaking world, Origen was considered not only a brilliant Christian, but one of the brightest lights of his era, period. He was invited to teach by Christian and pagan leaders alike. At the young age of 18, he was asked to teach as a catechist in a Christian school in Alexandria. He would teach all day and study and write late into the night. In the course of a few years, he caught the attention of wealthy patrons who enabled him to become, in the words of the great scholar Peter Brown, a gold-endowed super-nerd. His patron Ambrose furnished Origen with a place to live and a vast team to support his scholarship, including seven stenographers, a personal secretary, a team of scribes, everything Origen needed to study and write. In other words, heaven on earth. And write he did. Jerome's abbreviated list of Origen's works includes only 800 titles out of some 2,000 or more. Sadly, the vast majority of that corpus is lost, but happily, even a small percentage of that corpus is still quite massive, and that is what we have today. Origen's crowning achievement was called the hexapla, which is derived from the Greek word for six-fold. 
Origen and his team had systematically aligned six versions of the Old Testament in parallel columns, a Hebrew text, a Hebrew text written in Greek letters, and four Greek translations, including the Greek version that Origen considered authoritative for the Christian churches. This was known as the Septuagint. Origen carefully marked the Septuagint with what we now call critical symbols to note where different versions varied from the accepted Greek text. This monumental undertaking became the basis for the standard Greek text of the Old Testament from that point forward. As for the ways Origen actually interpreted the scriptures, our readings today represent both texts that were foundational for Origen's understanding of scripture, as well as texts that are foundational to my appreciation of him. We'll start with 1 Corinthians 2. For Origen, God encoded the scriptures in multiple layers of meaning. There is the letter of the text, which we could simply describe as the way the words run. Some would identify the letter as the literal interpretation for Origen, but I hesitate to use the fraught word literal. I prefer something like surface level of the text. It is simply the raw material for interpretation. The Greeks, in fact, often ridiculed the Christian scriptures for their very poor style, at least according to the standards of classical Greek literature. But for Origen, God uses these words out of his love for humanity. The scriptures are composed for the benefit of the many and not for an elite few. So, for simple believers, God speaks in histories, poems, laws, epistles, etc. Origen calls that level of meaning the body of scripture. But just as humans are not mere bodies, but also are composed of soul and spirit, so also are the scriptures. The spirit of scripture discloses the deeper realities of God, especially who God is and his story of redemption not just at an earthly level, but at a cosmic universal level, and all that through his son, the word, Jesus Christ. When describing these levels of meaning in scripture, Origen appeals to many passages, but above all, he refers to 1 Corinthians 2. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. You can already hear hints of this, that there are now layers of meaning or significance in Scripture. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, so not just the literal sense of scripture, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. For the spiritual person judges all things, but he is himself to be judged by no one. And this last part is key. 
For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Origen takes what Paul says here very seriously. The secret and hidden wisdom of God is woven throughout every passage of Scripture. And while God has inspired Scripture in such a way that there's something for everybody, so to speak, one must advance in holiness and spiritual insight, not to mention study of the Bible, in order to perceive that secret and hidden wisdom. In line with the philosophy of his day, Origen refers to this process of spiritual interpretation as reading allegorically. All kinds of errors emerge, Origen warns, when the simple-minded or heretics read literally what the Spirit intends to be read allegorically. First and foremost, anything said in the Bible that is unworthy of God must never be understood literally, but only allegorically or spiritually. Thus, some might believe, erroneously, that God has hands, arms, legs, feet, a nose, etc., when God, apart from the incarnate word, has no body at all. Or, this might take a moral dimension. Origen, for example, will read instances where God appears to be violent as allegorical in nature, and we should therefore not think of God as violent. Furthermore, Origen takes what we might consider problems in the text as valuable assets. They might be moral problems, as we just discussed, or textual problems, such as stories that did not take place, or contradictions within or between texts. All these things were placed in scripture by God's design as scandaloi, stumbling blocks, to trip us up when reading so that we do not stay at the letter of scripture and we move beyond to search for a spiritual meaning. We are not in Kansas anymore. <laughs> I have found Origen's layered approach to reading scripture immensely helpful. When reviewing it in such a short compass, it can sound quite radical, particularly if you grew up in the faith like me, being told the only faithful way to read scripture is to read it literally. Capital L. As an aside, I do encourage you to respond to a demand for literal interpretation by inquiring how someone takes, this is my body, it can prove quite instructive. <laughs> As you read Origen, you will find that this hardly means anything goes when reading the Bible. In fact, it's quite the opposite. The spiritual sense of scripture yields the full depths of the universal church's teaching. That's certainly what the fathers who produced our Nicene Creed thought, who were steadfast followers of Origen. At the height of a controversy, some, which some of you may know as the Arian controversy, or the controversy that led to the Council of Nicaea, etc. The church fathers of Basil, Gregory of Nyssa, Gregory of, um, of Nazianzus, Athanasius, all of them thought that to truly correct Arius and to truly understand the universal church's teaching, you have to read Origen. So they actually produced a document called the Philokalia, which is Origen's greatest hits, you could say. <laughs> it says, if you read the Bible this way, you'll understand that the Son, Jesus Christ, is fully God and equal with the Father. To put it differently, the spiritual sense of Scripture gives me hope that what I understand in Scripture today is not what I will understand in Scripture tomorrow. 
for by growing through the faithful study of Scripture and faithful discipline in practicing it, I can say all the more that I have the mind of Christ. Finally, I have been deeply influenced by Origen's notion that to understand Scripture, we must become, in a manner of speaking, Jesus. Of course, he does not mean that we, come, we become independent gods or saviors in our own right, or new incarnations of Jesus, or anything like that. It also is hard to fit into maybe what our modern parlance might speak of as a really strong connection with Jesus. It's not that either. The best words I have to describe this becoming Christ is what we might say is being mystically united with Christ, transformed into his image. Origen establishes this point in a truly beautiful passage at the beginning of his commentary on the Gospel of John. There, Origen describes what a gospel is and why the Gospel of John is the first fruits of the gospel, the gospeliest gospel, if you will. It is the most profound and spiritual gospel in Origen's opinion because the author John was the disciple most closely identified with Jesus himself. We might dare say then, this is Origen, that the gospels are the first fruits of all scriptures, but that the first fruits of the gospels is that according to John, whose meaning no one can understand who has not leaned on Jesus' breast nor received Mary from Jesus to be his mother also. But he who would be another John must also become such as John, to be shown to be Jesus, so to speak. For if Mary had no son except Jesus, in accordance with those who hold a sound opinion of her, and Jesus says to his mother, Behold, your son, he has said equally, Behold, this is Jesus, whom you whom you bore. He does not say, Behold, this man also is your son. For indeed, everyone who has been perfected no longer lives, but Christ lives in him. And since Christ lives in him, it is said of him to marry, Behold your son, the Christ. Isn't that brilliant? The correct answer is yes, it's brilliant. Origen is reading John 19.26 with utmost care. He notes that Jesus says, Behold your son, not behold another son, or a son of yours, or some other expression that makes son indefinite. So it's kind of like a syllogism. Jesus is Mary's son. John is Mary's son. Therefore, John is Jesus. Makes sense. Maybe not if we're reading it in a flat way. Perhaps we could say it's an analogy. That's how John had the most important and profound insight into Jesus as a gospel writer, because he became Jesus in a manner of speaking. And according to Origen, we must do the same if we are to understand John's gospel to its fullest spiritual extent. And by extension, that is how we come to understand any of the scriptures. Is that a literal interpretation? No. Is it a historical interpretation? No. Is it how we would read those sentences in any other book? Of course not. But read in the broader context of scripture, 
which Origen does by bringing in Galatians 2.20, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, it becomes a deeply moving image of how Jesus, the biblical writer, in this case John, the text of scripture, and the reader all relate to one another. To fully appreciate the good news of Jesus Christ, it must be no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That is one of the most profound Christ-centered ways of reading scripture that I've ever heard. It describes a mystical communion between text, human author, divine subject matter, divine author, and the reader. It is said that all of Western philosophy is a series of footnotes to Plato. I think it can equally be said that all of biblical interpretation is a series of footnotes to Origen, whether we're conscious of that today or not. Sadly, picking up Origen will not give you a user's manual to the Bible, even if sometimes Origen himself sounds like he's claiming exactly that. And you have to read a lot of him before you get as excited as I do about his biblical interpretation and the history of third century Alexandria. But having read much of his work, the Bible is a much different thing for me than it would be otherwise. It is truly alive. Just as Jesus is the word of God made flesh, scripture is the word of God made text. To get to know one of them, one must necessarily know the other. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, the most beautiful gift you have ever given us is your son, Jesus Christ, and you gave him to us as a living person, but you also gave us your living word in texts that we may all know and read that are written so that everybody may understand them and so that everybody may also grow deeper in their knowledge and love of you. We pray that you kindle in us a love for your word, your word the Son, your word the Bible. And we pray, God, that as we grow in our understanding of Scripture, we would grow in our understanding of you and what you are doing in our lives and in the whole world. We pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.